0: Welcome to another one off episode of Livewire, and today we're looking at culture how to build culture, how to create culture. You know, there are two ways to lead you can lead through controls, and you can lead through culture. And I believe leading through culture is far superior because of the fruit of what it produces. So, with that in mind, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Those who accepted his message Broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So, this is a great example of culture that is just manifesting just good things. And someone once pointed out you have to notice that they were devoted all by themselves, and that's the key to culture. Uh, somebody wasn't controlling and forcing things to happen. Yes, the Holy Spirit and the apostles were encouraging and leading and guiding, but essentially there was a culture generated, and out of this culture, people were volunteering their services, people were volunteering their food, and there was this this kind of um, proliferation of God's grace. So, what is culture? Well, Merriam-Webster says this. It is the integrated pattern of human knowledge, belief, and behavior that depends upon the capacity for learning and transmitting knowledge to succeeding generations. Two words to notice there, pattern and transmission. This is about a pattern, a pattern of behavior that transmits information, transmits behavior. Culture is where you build something And things naturally come out of it as opposed to controls where you force every little thing to happen. So, obviously, on pays and organizations and churches, we're looking for culture. Uh, We're looking for a kind of culture where people go the extra mile. And that's going to be important for us. How do you know if you're leading through culture or through controls? Well, the fruit of what you're doing will be seen. Uh, Controls bring fear. They're law-based and they give no space or freedom, whereas controls bring authenticity and unity. So in a moment we're going to look at our first workshop. The thing is that we need structure to build culture, and it's important. So I'm going to show you a video clip, Uh, it's an advert actually of the neighborhood in which I live, and there's a reason for this. As you look at this neighborhood, I'd like you to notice how similar things are. There's a kind of a freedom of expression, no home is the same, but they fit together. Just take a look around the neighborhood, it's a lovely neighborhood, and I want to use it as an example for our workshop. Gosh, I just love living here. It's kind of like an old fashioned community, but more with kind of a modern twist to it. Everybody's outside, they're walking, everybody's so energetic, they're at the pools, they're at the doggy park. I just love it. It's like a community within a community. So it's my privilege to know the architect who's built this community, this neighborhood, because he's a good friend of mine. Now many people talk about the importance of community, getting to know your neighbor. In Texas it's quite rare, people drive everywhere, people don't walk, they don't bump into their neighbors very often, but that's different in my neighborhood, it's very different. Uh, I know a lot of my neighbors, we meet together, We, we chat together, it's excellent, but the reason is is to do with structures because of the way the neighborhood is designed specifically now a while back uh, i asked the architect friend of mine to come and speak to my national directors for pays and we asked him certain questions and in this workshop i'd like you to uh, think through what you think his answers were for the following questions and then discuss them and i'll tell you a little bit about them a little bit later on so how do you think he answered the following questions Please explain the benefits of having one master plan. Please share how you get 10 builders to all stick to that one master plan. And what checks and measures do you have in place so that everyone stays on the same page when it comes to design? So, a master plan would be like a blueprint. There is a master plan, one big, um, if you like, set of rules and guidelines for the entire community. And It's because of that master plan that it's created this culture where everybody knows each other and there's a sense of community. Uh, but There are 10 different builders who build different types of houses in this community. So with that in mind, please answer those three questions and I'll share some of his answers afterwards. My friend's answers were really simple. He has this master plan, but so much of it is done in initial partnership, he makes it very clear to the builders what the plan is, they agree to the plan, Uh, they sign certain documents, so there are some controls there, but everyone has this big picture, there's a big picture vision of what the community is going to look like, and then within that kind of boundary of design, the different builders have freedom of expression. But there's some very clear boundaries of what kind of things they can and cannot do, and if a builder Goes outside of that, they lose their contracts and they can't build anymore in the community. So, what insights does that give us? How do we build community? My simple answer is you make the uncommon common. You make the uncommon common. Listen to what it says again in Scripture. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So, one of my favorite uh, leaders or my favorite sports managers is Sir Alex Ferguson and uh, recently we all read his book as National Directors on leadership. Um, This is what he said in the book, which I thought was particularly interesting. Before you can field a great team, you have to build a great organization. So I think that's fairly strange. I think most of us would say, actually you have to build a great team before you can build a great organization, but Sir Alex Ferguson doesn't agree because he would say, actually it's the structures you put in place that help you grow a great team, give them the right kind of space, but with the right kind of boundaries. It's the kind of thing an architect would say, that structures build culture. Structures build culture. So all structures are put in place for a reason and um, if you don't know that reason, it can look a little bit awkward. you can think it's a bit confining, it's restrictive. The problem actually for people who inherit or come late to the party, they join a team later on, they join a church or build or, or you know come to an organization later on in its life, is that sometimes they just don't realize why something's there. So you go into a home and you see a pillar and you think, well that's awkward, let's just take that pillar away, it's only when you take the pillar away you realize why it was there, because the ceiling falls down. So with those things in mind, let's understand that um, structures are important, but the best way to lead is culture. And The first part of making the uncommon common is recognizing what is uncommon. For a culture to be strong it has to be different from everything else around it, it has to be in some way set apart by something. You think of the Roman culture, which was an incredible culture, it was different, its architecture was unique, its way of government was totally different from anything like it. The Pax Romana was incredible, this Roman peace that spread across a good section of the Len world, uh, the Len world, uh, lasted two hundred years. It was considered a miracle that they could bring this kind of peace for two centuries, and uh, but it was because what. What was different about their culture set them apart from everything else. You think about the Greek culture and Hellenization, the language that that changed so much, and Greek even now plays a part in in our language. You think about the Hebraic culture, this people set apart by God. So the first thing you have to do is ask the question, what is uncommon about what we do? Now I have a friend, a good friend, who is a leader on Pays in GB. And uh, One day, he asked me to listen to a sermon that he did, and it was interesting. I listened to the sermon, and you know, he made about 5 or 6 points, and one of them in particular was really, really interesting, We skipped over it really quickly and spent most of his talk uh, on 5 points that, to be honest, most people in the room probably were already familiar with. You know, the key to being a great communicator is to major on the distinctives and generalize, or spend less time on the generalities. In other words, spend more time on what makes your message unique, and less time on what everybody already agrees. So to make, or to build, or to grow a culture, you first have to ask the question, what makes us uncommon? With that in mind, let's look at our next workshop. What is uncommon about you? What is different about who you are from those you are hoping to influence? What is difference about what you do from those you are hoping to influence? And what is difference about what you want from those you are hoping to influence? I'd like you to spend just a few minutes with your team, or if you're just listening to this on your own, thinking through those three different questions. What sets you apart? And then in the final section of this live wire, we're going to look at the five keys to make the uncommon common. So, what are the five keys or what are the five elements to make the uncommon common? Well, the first one is you need a common purpose. This is really important. You have to define what your purpose is and stick to it. You know, As an organization like PAYS grows, it's great because more and more people want to get involved and more and more people have a say or an idea of what we should do. The problem with that is that just because something's a good idea doesn't mean it's necessarily a god idea or the right thing to do. There are many, many things that PAYS could do that are great, but the more varied we become, if we try and do everything, we will lose the thing that makes us distinctive and slowly and surely, this this culture that we have on Pays will wither and die. and That's really important, I think. I I love the culture that exists on Pays. It creates entrepreneurs, it creates spiritual giants, I believe. So I have to be careful to make sure that anything that comes in is within our common purpose. That everybody knows what that purpose is and everybody uses that purpose to work out should we do this or shouldn't we so for instance our purpose is to make missionaries somebody might say hey paul wouldn't it wouldn't be great if we had a pays worship band maybe but my first question is how will it make missionaries if it does i'm interested if it doesn't i'm not so sometimes variety is the enemy of culture and that's a difficult one to work through sometimes you have to prune something in order for it to truly grow. So, you make what's uncommon, an uncommon purpose, common. You think, okay, we really need to highlight and emphasize what our purpose is. So, the second thing you need are common tools, things that bind people together because we're all using the same thing. They can be technological, so like uh, Facebook groups that we use on Pays, Uh, We don't allow everybody to use lots of different social media, we bind everybody together through the same tools. Ideally you want tools that set you apart, so on Pais we have our three catalytic programs, Havarim, Talmudim, and Shalom, and because you're loved as well, these different catalytic programs that help us, uh, everybody does the same thing, it binds us together, but the tools that we use are different. So Let me just say something odd about culture. Sometimes to include people, sometimes to want to get people drawn in, you need to be a little bit different. You almost have to be exclusive to be inclusive. That kind of of difference about you, the fact that there's this gang that are using uh, different tools and, and they have the same way of thinking can be quite attractive because people want to be part of that, they want to belong to something. So A common purpose and common tools help. Thirdly, a common spotlight. Now, the way this works is you need to highlight anything that fits within your vision, that's distinctive, that you want to promote. So anything that's common you want to make common, you highlight. So, for instance, if uh, somebody goes the extra mile on pays and does something special with our form of bible study, Havareem, then we will highlight that, we will we will lift that up and we will show that to people, that's a great way of highlighting, of promoting our culture. Now, there are a couple of different parts of this, first is usually uh, that's a human being, so in my neighborhood we have this structure that's important, but we also have what's called a HOA, a Home Owners Association, and that's a group of two or three employees who run events and who promote the culture, if you like, of the place I live in called Viridian. So they run events, uh, they run things that make what we do different, they promote things about our community. So you're looking for those kind of human catalysts and then you want to shine a light on them, but again, what you don't want to do is constantly highlight everything. So, for instance, if you know the vision or the the part of the culture that you're trying to promote, you may only talk about that or highlight that for a moment in time. So, if I was leading a church and I was trying to promote home groups, for instance, then I might not kind of highlight anything for, for three months apart from home groups because variety quite often is the enemy of culture. Now, the Paradox of that is if you get your culture right, if people know and they're on the same page, it actually gives them space to try lots and lots of different ideas and different things, but you can be confident they fit within your culture. So, common purpose, common tools, common spotlights. Then fourthly, very importantly, common language. Again, it's this kind of exclusivity that kind of actually makes people feel part of something. So on Pays, we have phrases, we have mottos, we have little ways of saying things that if you're outside of Pays, you wouldn't really know what they mean. You know, I can I can just say something to somebody like, oh, that's the diverted mile, and that's just a handful of words, but it means so much to different people on pays. But if you if you said that to somebody outside of pays, they would be like, Well, what's the diverted mile? It makes no sense. And that's what builds culture, common language. In, Viridian, in our in our community, even the signposts are different from the rest of our city. This kind of language, this kind of phraseology, um, it's quite European, actually. Some of the some of the phrases we use for the parks and the different places in our neighbourhood are, are not really American. They're they're from a different kind of part of the world, and it creates this kind of um, not elitism but exclusivity. It creates this kind of we all feel part of something that's a bit special, a bit different. So, number five, common traditions. This, in some ways, can be the most important. You have to ask yourself the question, what is a tradition? In my opinion, it is a pattern of shared experiences. So, the Bible is full of traditions that God puts in place because he wants to bind his nation together and set them apart. So They have these shared experiences or traditions that come up time and time again, they look forward to them, they participate in them, and they're able to remember and talk about them. Uh, When we meet as a global team once a year for a week, we have certain traditions that we Always, always have. You could almost say it's boring and lacks creativity, but we see the benefit. We have games that we play that nobody else really plays. There's a game called Cub that we play uh, at the Global Summit that probably you've never even heard of, but we play it every year. We have a a, a Global Summit uh, Cub Champion every year, and it creates this kind of folklore, this kind of um, experience this, this thing that we can talk about that binds us together. We have a certain way of praying and doing a commissioning on our Friday nights, and, and all these traditions help us. And my question to you would be, what traditions do you have that you've put in place? Particularly if you are pioneering a new team or it's a new church, I would encourage you, one of the first things you want to do to build culture is set off and start certain traditions shared, a pattern of shared experiences that time and time happen, that people know are going to happen and people can get involved in. So with that in mind, let's look at our final workshop. Which of the five elements are your strongest and which elements are your weakest, and what can you do to strengthen them? That's what I'd like you to do in this final workshop, is just look at those five things, where are you weak, where are you strong? Has this highlighted anything? You think, you know, we could probably do a better job of this, so you can build culture, and the benefit of building culture is authenticity, uh, unity, and the fact that you're passing on uh, your values and your principles. Hopefully that's helpful to you, uh, feel free to contact me again on Facebook or Twitter, or in any way that you would like to, and I'd love to help and answer your questions. Thanks so much for listening, goodbye.